Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. This is part two of my interview with Sidewalk Pastors. Bob Gal in Edmonton, Anna Mercante in Winnipeg, and EJ Toupe in Toronto. Three amazing individuals that uh, their parish uh, is a coffee shop, it's park bench, it's a visiting room in a jail, or it's in a shelter. In all of these environments, our sidewalk pastors are living out the call of God uh, to uh, minister to and care for those that the world says are the least of these. Now, what Jesus says about the least of these is radically different. It's upside down from how the world thinks. And uh, we're going to go to uh, part two of that interview uh, and uh, as we talk about some of the stereotypes associated uh, with poverty, some of the ways that uh, often spiritual formation is overlooked in social work and, uh, and yet the spiritual life uh, of the homeless, the spiritual life of the, of the street population is often a very rich, fertile ground of God on the streets. Let's go now to that interview. I think one of the, the realities that um, became part of our um, learning uh, was the addressing the stereotypes uh, that surround street people. Um, often there's an assumption that they're all homeless, they're all mentally ill, they're all scammers, they're all unsanitary. Um, when people are not used to the street population, they will often make these broad uh, assumptions. So what have you discovered uh, about those that you have ongoing relationships with? Um, you had to change your perspective uh, on how you view people. Uh, I think the biggest surprise is I, I really like the people I serve. Like, I enjoy them and all their quirkiness. <laughs> and like, we have like a real relationship. Well, you know, they do something dumb, I get angry. I, I say something about it or like, I do something dumb, they get angry. Like it's a, it's a real relationship. And I think uh, because a lot of them never really came from healthy families, that's a, a really powerful thing for them to have a real authentic and, and healthy friendship. And I think part of that was in the early days when I was working in a youth shelter, I used to uh, pray over the kids uh, at night. So I, I worked at Hope Mission at that time. So it was just 30 mats on the floor. And, and uh, my shift would be 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning. So around two, or, or from like one o'clock to five o'clock, not much goes on. Most, most kids are just asleep. But when I, uh, I would need to do a bed check from time to time to make sure that everyone's alive. And I would actually take that opportunity to pray over, over those young people. 
and there were many moments that God would give me a glimpse about what, what God sees. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we live in a world that likes separating people for many, many odd reasons, uh, but the Lord doesn't. And so the God, God values them in, in, in such a powerful way. And really, I feel like my job as a follower of Christ is to help restore, restore God's original design for uh, the people I serve. So that's been a beautiful shift. about you Anna you know like God gives us grace daily and in return we should do the same for others right and you know again I always mention the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to uh, empathize with others to show mercy you know there was a time I remember one time I was in the downtown area and there were four individuals with beverages and and I had a choice to either walk away or when they asked for money ask one simple question is there anything that I can pray for you today? You know what's amazing? And I and I always ask that question. You know, I don't have, you know, and, and I use wisdom and discernment at that time. I said, no, I don't have money, but I would love to pray for you. Four of these individuals had beverages and they put them down and they started sharing their story of what has happened in their life. And, you know, I, they actually, I said, you know what, thank you for sharing. Let's start to, let's pray. Let's pray that God would be in the situation that he would heal you. And, and, and just to know that he loves you. And, and there's my local church. I want you to know that you are welcome to attend. They held hands and we started to pray. Like, I will never forget that moment. What would have happened if I felt afraid and just chose to walk away? Like I've, I've never met, seen these four individuals, but you know, that's just planting a seed of love. You know, people are facing pain, trauma, and past hurts. Yeah. Um, let's just be there to, to help carry that burden, carry each other's burden. Mm-hmm. That's God helps us to <clears throat> see people as he sees them. Not, not as uh, the world or we in our immaturity tend to look at people. Yeah. I remember there was uh, a prominent social work study done in the UK and uh, it was measuring spirituality in the streets. And uh, majority of secular social work programs uh, are not built on the premise that uh, there are spiritual needs for the clients that they serve. But the truth is that people on the streets are often quite spiritual. Um, So, you know, you gave a great example, Anna, of praying uh, for for people on the streets. Uh, So what about prayer? What about Bible? What about confession, discipleship, um, what's, what does spiritual formation look like in the streets? Well, it's not in a classroom with a notebook, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think that image of discipleship being a, a classroom just doesn't really apply, uh, unless I'm wrong, Bob. I'm pretty, uh, no. <laughs> 
Don't ask Bob. He'll tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, book. And I think I think uh, the form of discipleship that's necessary in street ministry is actually an ancient biblical one, where uh, you just live life together, right? Mm-hmm. When those disciples are just coming along with Jesus and and stuff like that. I mean, and part of it is there's other barriers. Some of the people I serve, um, they're illiterate. They're not good readers, right? So, so what am I going to do? Shame them and give them a, a, a discipleship book that they can't read, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really modeling and even praying. It needs, so the spirituality that the people I serve learn is the one that they see through me and with me. And I think part of it, too, is inviting them to be part of the, the narrative of, of the church, the rhythm of the church. So right now, when we're doing online services, uh, I actually invite other people from our community to either do scripture reading or do the responsive reading. And uh, some of the people who do that are my marginalized friends. Uh, I, don't different, I don't differentiate them from anyone else they're just like hey can you do the scripture reading this week and all that stuff because i want to affirm them as they they are part of the body mm-hmm. right and i think i think part of our heritage as pentecostals is to just radically unleash people right and trust the holy spirit will lead and do the work and uh and i think that's what uh, again back to the theme of being invigorated that's just surprising and you just go oh wow that worked (laughs) you know kevin what really surprises me and i'm sure ej and anna you be the same is i had the impression that most you know street people are there they don't believe in jesus and that's what happens no i have found so many people on the street who are born again believers mm-hmm. who love Jesus. Some are spirit filled. I prayed for one girl just a few weeks ago. I might've mentioned this. I don't know, but when I'm praying for her, she says, how can I, I said, how can I pray for you? She says, can you pray that I get off of meth? I went, mm-hmm. okay. Started praying amen. and she's going, thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going like, am I in the cathedral? Am I in the front of a POC church or something? What is going on? The presence of Jesus in our life. I want to show you something. Their spiritual needs. This is a picture of last Saturday. I don't know if you can see that. You see at the end of my booth, the cross. I have people write out their sins and just nail it to the cross because that's what it says in Galatians. It's our, our, our sins nailed them there. And uh, I want to tell you, it's a powerful time. Serving the Lord's table is one of the most powerful things that I do on the street. I've even come up with a little portable thing like this. It's just a a little piece of wood. And I just, I carry this with me like my Bible. And I've offered it to guys on, guys, guys coming off of drugs. And I'm praying with them in a restaurant and Say, do you want the Lord's table? I've had so many experiences of people encountering Christ afresh that they believe when they were a child. They, they, they have faith. And I have so many brothers and sisters who are on the streets. 
That's the biggest change. So that survey that was done, if somebody asked me in that survey, so what do you feel are the spiritual care? It's one of the greatest needs on the street is spiritual care. No one cares for their soul. Like Anna, when you say, can I pray for you? I do, I do that almost everybody I meet. Can I pray with you? Um, in stores, in wherever. It doesn't have to be on the street. It can be anywhere. And I find the spiritual needs are unmet, but the need is, and COVID, Kevin, it's like the doors have swung wide open because they don't even have an access to a church. If they used to go to a church or whatever, and like now, uh, you know, I, I, I could spend as long as I want, pretty much, if I'm willing to pray with people, uh, you don't even need to have a booth. Just be there and start praying and people know, hey, go talk to that guy. That's what happens to me. And you can be stuck there for a while because people say, hey, go see him. He'll pray with you. That's street ministry today, folks. And if you're interested in starting, you don't have to preach. You, you, you don't have to, like you said, AJ, you don't have to, you know, have a theological uh, treatise. Just love. If you love people and you love God, you got it. You just connect those two together. I love God. I love you. Let me talk to God for you. That's what prayer is. And many people, Kevin, have never in their lifetime ever heard anybody pray out loud for them. That's one of the greatest needs in the community. And for somebody to actually hear somebody cares for their soul. It's huge. I got to be quiet. Oh, I could go on. I feel like it could have been one episode each from every single one of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I can, I can I just share a story since Bob was telling that story of like people sensing the spirit. Um, back in the day, I would have ministry groups come visit me, uh, and I would teach them uh, the narrative of the city and street ministry. And sometimes, uh, if I'm really blessed, I get to bring along some of my marginalized friends. And, and not all of them really would say that they're Christian yet, but that doesn't matter. They're, they're friends with me. And I remember one time we were walking around Allen Gardens, and I asked everyone that while we were walking, that they have permission to interrupt me if they sense the Holy Spirit is leading us to tend to somebody's need. So I actually said that the whole walk and, you know, the whole day, the only person that constantly interrupted me was actually my marginalized friend that was with me uh, because, and, and, and I remember the first time he did it, he was like, oh, well, I asked, what did, why did you do that? It's like, well, you said, if you see someone in need, we should just go. <laughs> and he had such uh a connection to seeing people in need, right? That he was, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm still not sure he would say that he's Christian, but he was Christ leading this Christian group of people to stop and tend to somebody's need, right? And so it just says something about uh, where Jesus really lies. That when you know that Jesus guy when he said, "I'm with those in the margins," that wasn't a joke. <laughs> And I think there is an invitation for all of us to experience God that way. And I would imagine right now, because we can't go to church, 
we actually have an open invitation to experience God outside, right? I know we have, we've been having church at home, but we can experience God outside. There is, there is no law against you helping someone in need during this time, okay? You will not go to jail for that. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine if Christians decide, like, hey, you know, if I can't go to church, I'm going to see if I can bring church to somebody out there in need. What madness would happen, huh? <laughs> Just a thought. Okay, some people are going to hear that, EJ, and they're going to say, well, yeah, guys like you and Bob and Anna, um, you're, you're already, you know, you're already half nuts. You, you're, you already have this appetite for chaos. You know what? Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't roll that way. That's not my gifting, you know? Um, but, but it's, is it, is it something that um, you have to have some kind of special calling to do to be uh, available and observant on the streets? What, how, how would you, maybe the team here can give me some ideas on um, best practices for beginners. If someone says, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I hear you and you're right. And I need to do that. I need to, I need to get out there more. I need to make myself available to, to help, help people or to connect with people. Give me some, uh, some uh, baby steps. Uh, I can give you a baby step. You can partner with local agencies. Um, unfortunately, some churches have had to uh, never really connected with the community uh, in that way. And so sometimes some people feel discouraged that when they reach out to churches, hey, what are you doing? And the only thing they offer them is an online service. But there are social agencies out there that are looking for help. And just because they don't really come from the Jesus perspective shouldn't necessarily disqualify you from serving them, right? right? Uh, and some of them are faith, uh, faith-based agencies. Like Mustard Seed here, uh, they have had incredible support during this time. Uh, so many people from my neighborhood who aren't people of faith have rallied to not only financially support them, so now they've expanded their meal program to three days. They only had one day. They literally tripled their budget. Uh, and they have so many volunteers that they, they literally have said to the community, we can't take any more <laughs> volunteers. <laughs> Find somewhere else. Uh, or even like people need rides, people need deliveries, people need access to groceries. Uh, I know that's what I do whenever I do a grocery run. I'm actually doing grocery runs for my marginalized friends uh, to help them because uh, Transit is hard to get around and all that stuff. So it's actually not, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It could be just a simple, basic thing of calling someone and say, hey, I'm doing a grocery run. Do you need, are you, need, are you needing me to drop off some stuff for you? So there's some basic 101 suggestions. Who else has some 101? You know what? I always encourage others if 
they're not sure what area of ministry they're called to serve, a good thing to do is take a spiritual inventory test online or um, see where God's leading you. Uh, I actually right now I'm co-facilitating a Zoe Identity course with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada leading women because they're like, I want to serve. I have this burden. Um, it's, it's really important to tap in those giftings that God has called you, right? Because there's so many areas of service and you really want to flourish. You don't want to be doing something that's weighing you down or, you know, you're really good at, but it's just, you know, it's really giving it to the Lord, maybe seeking godly wisdom with your pastor or friend, like, Hey, what am I really good at? And maybe doing some shadowing, right? Maybe go with a group and, and see what it actually looks like. Um, I know that it was modeled to me. I would, just go out with a group of people who are already involved in street ministry to just kind of build up on those skills. So yeah, it's just kind of exploring that Avenue and, and really giving it to the Lord, just like with prison ministry. I was like, Lord, where do you think I'm going to be really great at serving in this season of my life? And that phone call came and you know what? I actually enjoyed it, yeah, but it was just kind of going with a team of people. It, it was modeled for me and it changed my life. And uh, one of the ways that it was modeled was uh, with my friend, Bob Gal. Um, <laughs> when, when I was uh, in more impressionable years and thinking about my future and my life and what matters, um, I, uh, I was greatly inspired by you, Bob, and mm. uh, still am. Wow. So, uh, Bob, um, take take us on the street. What 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 do we need to know? I'm going to give you a 101 for everybody because everybody isn't like you say crazy going. Well, we just love being downtown with the urban people. This works if you're in a village. This works if you're in the suburbs. And it's a guy thing. I I stumbled on it. I just stumbled on it. Okay, you can't have people in your house, so COVID forced me outside. But look at this. This is my front yard. A fire. Guys can't resist a fire. You put a fire on, they come. So I put a camping chair that I invite people, hey, come on in. Right my front yard. They're walking, they're going walking their dog. They're walking by. They'll sit by a fire, especially guys. So street ministry 101, start on your own street where your house is, where you live. Just start where you are. You got neighbors and you're safe because, hey, that's where you live. It's okay. And hey, sit down. Want a coffee? They bring their coffee in, whatever. Kevin, I can just tell you, I've had, if I were to tell you what's happened around this fire in my front yard, it'd be like, whoa. And so 101, use your house, but get outside. Get outside your walls, but use your home. And uh, I found the fire was a guy thing. The guy's like, you know, it's all right. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, no bad. Come on in, sit down. You know, you don't have to change your voice. Just, you know, <laughs> just be, just be normal. Don't go spiritual. Like, don't go. Oh, do you need Jesus today? Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, you want to sit down? Like, how you doing, man? Just be normal. Just be ordinary, and let Jesus shine. But you know where I got this from? My master on the beach. He was the guy that started to fire and even his own disciples, they were throwing, they didn't realize it was him. And I just go, I don't know. 101, uh, sit, 
people sort of open up when they sit around. You don't have to talk all the time. You're watching the fire. Oh, that's another secret. Kevin, don't talk all the time. Like, learn to be quiet. It's okay. And he doesn't have to talk, and you don't have to talk. You can sit there. It's safe. It's okay. You know, don't be nervous. Relax. Well, I'm just wondering this whole time, you know, uh, EJ, what would happen if you put out a fireball on Queen Street? Uh, well, someone would call the cops because I live right on Queen Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I don't I don't live in the burbs. I literally I'm actually uh, for those who are watching, I live uh, three and a half blocks east of where we started at Hebden Mission. So uh, I'm at nine, I'm just at uh, 900's version of Queen Street East. And so I can't quite do the fire thing like you, Bob, but I think that's, I, I, again, you work with the context of what you, what you have, right? So, yeah. but right, right beside me where I live is a, is a community health center. And a lot of uh, poor people hang out there, uh, a lot of addicts, because it's also a safety injection site. And literally even right beside me is I live above a very famous coffee shop. Uh, so you'll see very bougie uh, strollers <laughs> over there. So it's like, it's the narrative of, of both extremes in, in my neighborhood. Um, I, I, but I do, if there is one thing I, I could share about a special thing that we were able to do uh, earlier, the pandemic, Cheryl and I just kind of felt that there are a lot of parents struggling through this time. And so we, we contacted the, the parent child center here and I'm on the board of the community health center. And we did a partnership to offer a free workshop for parents and mental health. And so we, we booked our friend, Connie. We, uh, we all know Connie. She killed it. And we actually, they said it was the highest registration for an online event that they ever had. And wow. we had about 24 households uh, join. Uh, some people were so vulnerable and shared their stories. And afterwards, uh, when we ended, we were in tears because we knew that we got to minister to our neighborhoods. Yeah. And I think part of street ministry is actually, like Bob said, start with your own street. Start with your own neighbors. Some Jesus guy said something about neighbors, right? What a brilliant guy he is. <laughs> <laughs> start with your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Connie Jacob uh, was a guest uh, on our episode about energizers people who uh who's calling often they bring spirit to culture so uh she's she's one of those motivational speakers who uh because of her own experiences in her family around mental health has an opportunity to speak far and wide about what she's learning in the midst of that and i'm not surprised that that would be uh be a, a hot item you know that it would be so well attended because it's meeting a need a very real need um, i want to talk a little bit about integration into the body of christ so when 
um, somebody who's more street engaged, uh, you know, somebody who's coming to Jesus uh, or knows Jesus, uh, but their their life is street centered. Uh, what have you learned about um, integration? In other words, how do they become jointly fit into the body of Christ? Uh, so uh, that's that. I want you just uh, to be honest, you know, about what you've experienced in trying to bring some people along into the life of the church. Um, where has it worked well? Where has it been dismal? What can what can churches do to uh, actually show hospitality to the stranger in their midst? Kevin, I, I'm happy for Anna or EJ to go first. My heart is so full. I just got stuff I can share. Um, but here I'll go. And, and you guys just go, time out, Bob. Come on. But I just got it. It just bubbles. Kevin, I follow Jesus. And um, you know what? Uh, trying to get somebody into our church buildings is harder than getting them into a funeral home. Uh, and I'm just being frank with you. I'm just being really honest. I actually ask people when I'm talking, so uh, what would be the number one reason why you wouldn't want to go into a church? Here's the straight answer. It comes out more times than anything else. You're going to leave with less money than you go in there with. That is the number one reason why people will not walk into a church building. It's number one. They're going to take money from you. Okay, that's not Barna. That's Bob on the street talking to people. That's it, it's for for sure. Here is how to integrate them in the church. Go to Simon the leper's house. Go to their house. Don't invite them to God's house because to them it's not God's house. That's a scary house. That's the haunted house. And I'm just telling you, I never invite somebody from the streets straight to church. I'm just telling you, I'll take them to Tim Hortons. I'll take them to a coffee shop and we'll have a Bible study there. That's where we start doing discipleship. The building has too many scary things about it. And I'm, I'm just being really honest. And those of you watching, please don't be insulted by this. It's not whether you got coffee in the foyer of the church. That's not it. They can't get into the foyer. But if you start building relationship, Kevin, when we build relationship, then it's safe to come with you, my friend. It doesn't matter where we go, because now I know you're going to protect me from anybody there that's going to want to take, you know, stuff from me. And uh, uh, I, I just that was the number one thing. So I would just say integration. You never go directly from from acquaintance to come to church. I go from acquaintance, where would you like to meet? I meet with them where they're comfortable. Once they come to Christ, once I have built relationship with them, then I can say, hey, I'm going, do you want to come with me? I'm their friend now. Okay, Bob, yeah, I'll win. Okay, yeah, okay, let's try it out. That's how I've done it. All. And it's, it's worked for me, Kev. 
Sorry if that's too blunt. No, that's that's why we have you on here, Bob. So you always tell the truth. Well, I, I was gonna dance around it, but Bob Bob went for it. So <laughs> okay, the door is open. Talk freely among yourselves. Uh, I think part of the challenge is just what what we define as church is very narrow, right? We, we think of the building, the singing, the preaching. Uh, I think. I, I'm sure all of us have had to do it, but sometimes we we change our definition of church to again what Jesus said, where there's two or more. <laughs> so sometimes spending time with that person, with one person, and and talking about God and life, that's church, right? Having a meal together, that's church. Uh, spending time together, that's that's church. I think those are less intimidating avenues for people to come. Um, I, to be honest, it's kind of why we ended up having to accidentally start a spiritual community in our neighborhood. Uh, because when I, when I sent people to check out a service, they didn't, it didn't really ring true for them because they were introduced to a Jesus that was relational and intimate right and so the context of a church service where you're watching other people do church doesn't really quite ring well for them uh and so i think i think the context of of a meal for instance is less intimidating uh i'll give you an example uh people have stopped doing this actually but back in the day i would get emails around christmas time from some families where they say, hey, EJ, we hear that you hang out with some poor people. Uh, can we uh, come alongside anything you're doing for Christmas? Uh, we heard that you do a dinner. And then I always reply, I was like, yes, uh, I do have marginalized friends. And yes, we do have dinner. But no, you can't just come and serve. You can have dinner with us. And that's it. And then they didn't understand that. And eventually I tell them like, well, we just eat together. We just, I, I don't tell people who's poor and who's not. We just have, we have a potluck and we just eat together. <laughs> and I think that didn't, they didn't quite understand that because I was like, yeah, I'm dispelling the power dynamic here. It's not about the good Christians giving food to the poor folk. It's like, no, it's, I know that there are ministries that function like that. And, and I know there are ministries that try to bridge the gap of trying to uh, hu really humanize people as that exchange happens. But for us, uh, it's, it's not, it's not differentiate. We're not here to differentiate. We're here to sit together. And I, I believe one time I said to somebody that my goal uh, is to strengthen the people I serve so that I could worship with them as equals, right? right. So, so how can I raise them up so I worship alongside of them as an equal? EJ, that is absolutely essential what you just said. I have allowed, and in, in, uh, God help me do this, I allow the street people to buy my coffee. That's very, very important. Not all, but once in a while they're like, oh, I got it. I never say, no, 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 no. 
go, hey, yeah, hey, thank you. Do you know what that does for them? We're equals. And, and we've got to stop this whole mentality of, you know, you're the poor people. We are got the stuff. We're here to help you because then you stay poor and we stay rich. They're equal with me. And it does something so big for them. Uh, when I, uh, one time I ministered to a guy in the street and, and uh, the guy shook my hand and put a $10 bill. Like it was like, Kevin, you in the car with your, your buddy. And I was like, I was going to go now. And I felt the Lord say, don't deny him the privilege. I took $10 from a street person that probably took five hours to panhandle that, you know? And I go, wow, Jesus, what a lesson. So I agree with you, EJ. It's not us and them. It's not us and them. It's we. Yeah, for myself, I think like just building authentic relationships and trust allows the person, you know, just in my experience to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to trust that where she's sending me is a safe place. And, and it might just take some time, but, um, you know, even with churches, if my suggestion is what could they do for the betterment of the marginalized people? Maybe it's facilitating life skills courses to help improve their quality of life, whether it's having a local food bank. Um, our church has a lady that comes and teaches sewing classes, and these are to individuals that come for the classes, but they're also building relationships with the staff and they know us by name, right? Um, maybe it's a course on teaching English as a second language or money management. Um, again, it's just that opportunity for them to know that we care and getting to know us here in the church. This may be a theological question to unpack, but why do we think that because we follow Jesus, that we always have the role of teaching and serving and imparting, you know, is, is there something that we're missing here about letting um, somebody who, uh, you know, is, is marginalized teach us? serve us, equip us. And uh, I think that's, that's kind of where, uh, you know, that, that power differential, right? You know, um, as long as I feel like I'm, I'm in charge because I'm following Jesus and, um, you know, I've got everything to give you, but you're, you're, you have so many needs. You don't have anything to give me. You know, what, what, what's wrong with this picture and, and, and how do we um, how, help, help people to get a, uh, their head around this theologically, you know, that, that we uh, not only are here to love and to serve, but we are also here to be loved and be served. Somebody want to unpack that? Oh, Kevin, this is recorded, so this may be edited out, folks. If it gets edited, I don't blame you. <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to take it a little further. You know that uh, it's not just the poor. It's the people of other world faiths. I work at the West Edmonton Mall for years, and 
some of my best friends are Muslims. And I listen to them and, I, and they tell me, you know, this in the Quran and this. I go, wow, that's good. That's good. When I listen to them and go, that's, you know, that's just like, uh, and I use the word Injil because in the Quran, they're told to read the Injil, which is the Gospels. So I go, like in the Injil, that's what Jesus teaches. Yeah, we know. We know. I've got this one Muslim guy. He goes, Bob, I know more about Jesus than you do. <laughs> <laughs> I so, hope he does. <laughs> you know, here's the whole thing. And EJ, you can relate to this. I remember being down on Young Street. That was one of the places I started, right on Young Street. Uh, uh, back in the day, rotary phones, overhead projector, white building. It was my screen, okay? <laughs> on, white, on White Ave, okay? Or on Young Street, Young Street. Hey, I, I know White Ave. I lived in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, White Ave. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the White Ave there, Okay. And this is where uh, the the poor help us. This drunk guy comes and leans on my overhead projector and starts bending the stand, the bench, and the and the image is going down off the building. Now he's not trying to do it. He wants to help me. He's trying to help me get it straight. You know, not the not the screen straight. My truth. It. I think what it does, it demonstrates to everybody else when we're willing to listen, do you know, it gives them a better ear to hear us. That's a very important aspect of any ministry is being able to listen. Jesus spent a lot of time listening to people ask questions that he knew the answer to, but they had to ask the question. Well, Jesus, what about this, 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 this? He could go, wait, I'm the son of God. I know it all, Okay. What are you trying to do? You're messing with my head. No, he let them go on. He let them go on. I think of the woman at the well, Kev. This woman comes up, married five times, and man, she's living with her husband. And he says to her, hey, can I have a drink of water? There's our example, guys. Jesus asked for help. Can I have a drink of water? That's the lesson right there. Ask those weaker than you to help you. Uh, to answer it from a theological standpoint and then personal one, uh, I think we've made an idol out of independence in Western culture. And, and so people who are poor, they have to live uh, interdependent to other to others. And somehow in our culture, we see that as lesser and that makes someone lower. Uh, and But that's actually not Christian <laughs> because it, the scriptures are actually speaking very loudly that we need God. We actually can't function without God. So the, the foundation of, of Jesus is actually a holy interdependence. Uh, and so... Um, I actually would say that that's a worldly value that we allowed to get into the church, that we idolize independence, we idolize wealth, we idolize uh, uh, being famous, when really the Jesus we serve was none of the above. Uh, every time Jesus was being elevated, he ran away. Every time people thought that... Uh, Something big was going to happen. He washed feet. 
right? And when people thought he was going to take over the Roman government, it's like, all right, I'm going to die by their method of execution, right? And I think we forget the, the subversive, there's a big theology word, the subversive gospel, right? Like Caesar is not our Lord, Jesus is. And I think that's the theological um, truth that we need to be reminded of, that somehow that worldly value got into the church. Now, from a personal standpoint, I used to believe in that, in that gospel of independence. Thank God for my poor friends who <laughs> took it out of me. Uh, there's nothing like people telling you to F off constantly that'll humble you. <laughs> you get a lot of that, don't you, EJ? <laughs> I used to. I don't, I don't anymore. <laughs> now we're good. Now we're good. But uh, I do, I do say that my friends saved my soul. They, they took away this toxic Christianity that was in my heart. That was uh, self. Here's another big word. Sorry, I'm in seminary right now. Self-aggrandizing, right? I wanted to uplift myself, and now I, I don't care. And to be honest, I'm, I feel like I need my poor friends in my life. But if I don't have them, I'm not really sure how I'm going to function. Like we, we need each other, uh, and and that's been a glorious uh, deconstruction for my life to now become interdependent with the people I serve. Uh, and I know I know all of you understand that, right? Like, you know, you, you spend time with your friends in the margins, and you're just like, oh, I just I just feel good inside <laughs> you know and i think i think that joy is a gift from the lord and i think we've all tasted how sweet it is to sense god's presence that way and so i do think all of everyone in the church is in, invited to this you know dying to self that jesus did ask us for a, a death sentence to ourselves and that means that uh, people in the margins are part of our salvation. Now, there's a big theology idea. Back to you, Anna. You know what? Like, yeah, like Jesus is the best example of how he did ministry here on earth. Like he came to serve and not, you know, he was a king and came and fellowship with the disciples. And I love the story of the woman in Luke um, where she enters the home of where Jesus was dining and poured the most expensive uh, perfume, or I believe it was perfume. And, you know, at the time, that would, would be very costly, but it was a form of worship. And, and some people are not understanding why they would allow this woman to come and do that. But Jesus allowed that. And it was a it's a beautiful story, just reminding me that um, he, he sets that example of what ministry looks like welcoming anybody into our lives, regardless of where they come from, what they have done. Everyone has intrinsic value. You know, there's goodness within each and every one of us. And um, it's just allowing and welcoming those people into our lives, hearing their stories. And you know what, at times we have a lot in common. There's so many people. I've also worked with the Muslim community. We have a lot in common. We have similar stories. We have 
similar events that have happened. And it's just an opportunity to share, be humble and allow them to uh, walk in that journey with you. I think, I think this is probably a, a good place uh, for us to wind down. And uh, we've covered a lot of good ground here, you sidewalk pastors, you. And, uh, but uh, just wanna uh, ask uh, before, we, before we wind out, um, if, uh, if there's one more thing that, uh, that you wanna share or say, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I was gonna ask, uh, you know, what would, well, if, if after you die, if some of the people that, that you've impacted in these ways were to bring flowers to your grave um, and somebody was standing by, what would they have to say about you? You could answer that or, or you can just, uh, if there's something else you wanna add just to this conversation as a parting thought, um, who wants to go first? Go ahead, Bob. Okay. I got something. Um, I just got to tell you this. This is going to sound, I'm not trying to do it to be, anyways, here it goes. I think COVID is the greatest blessing God has ever sent the church in the last hundred years. I really, really mean that. It's the scattering of the saints of Jerusalem. There's no way the harvest that he wants to come in would come in if we stayed in our buildings. I had the privilege, guys, of baptizing this guy in his home, in his bathtub. I never kind of figured on baptizing him, knowing that he was six foot four or something and had to crouch in so I could get him into the tub. But his family so experienced the presence of Jesus because he wanted to be baptized and there's no church open. I said, well, do it in your house. He was a pretty tough old oil worker guy. Communion on the streets, baptism in the house, you win them, you baptize them. I don't believe the harvest is going to come into our buildings. We're going to have to go. Every believer, all of you watching this right now, every one of you are called outside the building. The, the message, the Great Commission is not come, it's go. We're not to say come with me, we're to say we go and we go to them. That's the gospel. That's the great commission. And when somebody comes to my grave and puts the flowers down, the only thing they might ever even think of saying is, man, he loved Jesus. Because that's who I hang out with all the time. Love you guys. What a beautiful mic drop that was. Very, very well said. EJ? Uh well, to be honest, I, I paused because the question makes me cry. Um, I love my friends. Um, they're, they're not just people to me. They're, they were never my job. And I'm so grateful that they have let me be part of their darkest moments. And, and now, after years, I'm getting to see their joys and their success and be their champion. And 
um, I would like to think that when my time comes, they will say that EJ was my champion when nobody else thought I was anything. And yeah, I'm so grateful. Like some people I've known now, like 15 years, some people I've known. Uh, some of them, I'm actually even officiating, I've officiated some weddings. <laughs> and, and what a joy that is. And, or even some of them, you know, I, I, uh, I got to baptize them. I, I'm dedicating their kids to the Lord. Um, yeah, and, and I guess what I'm also going to see whenever my time comes is the impact on their children. I'm seeing young people who are now growing up without the same baggage as their parents did. And, and what a joy that is that, uh, yeah, some kids, I've, 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 I held them when they were like four, four or five hours old uh, and I got to pray over them. And it's just, this is just the best, it's the best thing Jesus ever asked me to do. I'm glad it's not over. <laughs> me too, me too. You got a, such a beautiful heart, EJ. And uh, thank you. Thank you. The last word. Anna, you get to have the last word. Come on, girl. Wonderful. This has been such a blessing. You know, like what EJ said, I love my community. I love my family and I love my friends. Even the people that I minister, they're my friends. They're my family. We are a church family. And, you know, there's a verse that, you know, I, I think we mentioned Matthew 25 that says, whatever you do the least for my brethren, you're doing for me. This is the work of the Lord. We're representing Christ. We are the body. We are the feet. We're the hands of Jesus Christ. And I'm just so, um, you know, there's, there's a hope in me. There's a story. There's a testimony. And for me, there's an obligation to share the reason for my joy that God has brought healing and restoration in my life. So I hope at my funeral, many will come <laughs> and say she was bold in her faith. She loved Jesus and she loved me. I'm not perfect. I still have work. To, there's much work yet to be done. But with Christ, he is our strength. He gives us the joy to do the work that he's called us to do. I think the only thing better than the legacy that we can leave is the reunion that we will experience. And uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for calling us to do things that um, really, really matter. Uh, well, uh, peace on your house, friends. Uh, may, uh, may the spirit continue to lead you. Thanks for being part of the podcast today. And I can't wait to get this edited and out there because uh, I know that uh, God spoke through you today, just like we prayed. Bye-bye, guys. Blessings. Bye-bye, guys. On our next episode, we're going to look at the letter T in the word quest. T stands for transformers. Who are the people in your city that are involved in community transformation? 
Well, starting with my city of Windsor, uh, I am going to have two guests, Roger Fordham of Feeding Windsor and Mike Morenci, the executive director of Matthew House. They're involved in refugee resettlement. And then we're going to go up the highway to London, Ontario and talk with Doug Whitelaw. Doug is the former director of Arcade Mission and uh, also Sarah Campbell is going to be on. She's the current director of Arcade Mission. Then a little further up the highway to Guelph, Ontario, we're going to talk to Kevin Coghill at Royal City Mission. All of these guests live their life as Christians involved in community transformation and they make a difference. Communities are changed when people of faith take dramatic steps and courageous steps to help somebody else out. So I hope you'll uh, join us again on the next episode. By the way, you can uh, like us on Facebook, Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. You can look up my channel on YouTube, Kevin Rogers, and find many of the episodes. And of course, SidewalkSkylinePodcast.com. So uh, until uh, we're back for the next episode, when we're looking at the letter T, Transformers, I am Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Come back, won't you?